Welcome to the Beat from the True Wellness Center. I'm your host, Kelly Kennedy. And the Beats is truly from my heart to yours to help you empower and inspire you to learn how the body actually does work. I am bringing you my friends, my colleagues, the most incredible minds from around the world that I have been able to learn from. And I want to share them all with you. So that's what the Beats is really about, is teaching people what I've been able to learn about how the body works and trying to give that to you in a very simple and practical way to give you things to change your life because you got this. This is all about you and having the ability to heal your own body from within. And that's really my message is from my heart to yours. Welcome to the beats. Welcome to learning how your body works and welcome to opening your heart. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your time and your attention as we focus in on this week's episode of The Beats. So welcome back to The Beats with Kelly Kennedy. And I am so excited to introduce to you today, Danielle. And before I introduce Danielle, I'm gonna do something on camera as I did last time that I had a lot of firsts on the last uh, podcast. This is gonna be another first. Before I start the podcast with my guests, we take a few minutes to, I mean, I know most of these guests pretty well. So um, we're just kind of reconnecting and getting to know each other. Danielle's one of my newer good BFFs. Um, but I usually do some kind of like a prayer with a tuning fork and just set the tone of the day. And it struck myself and I could feel it from Danielle. She's like, yeah, let's do it on camera. So I'm gonna do it now. And Danielle, you're welcome to add in. Um, so we'll just start off like this. So I set the intention today and pay attention to Danielle and I staying in the flow state, coming truly from our hearts as we first connected and reconnected this year on all things to uncover one of the most, what I find ridiculous things that's happening in our culture that Danielle's shedding light on to really educate people about. And I pray that today all the words that come out of our mouth all the nonverbal communication truly assists those that are listening to truly hear this and feel this information allowing them to make proper steps forward allowing their nervous system to heal allowing them to understand the different levels physical emotional and spiritual that all things are entangled with and that as we uncover the blockades to healing we truly allow the body to heal itself and that Danielle and I continue to be light and even though it's a very heavy subject to allow this to truly reach those that want and need this information and that we have the ability to communicate in a very heartfelt authentic way um, what we're trying to communicate today about breast implants and about lymphatic and fascia and all things that Danielle and I love ever so much and electricity and so it is did you want to add anything danielle i think that was perfect so danielle valeris dolores valoris valoris <laughs> i mispronounced it sorry danielle valoris is a wonderful nurse practitioner that worked um more in medical equipment working in the cardiovascular industry i'm going to let her talk a little bit about that it's very interesting and i I would love to say I met Danielle this year, but I have to say it was kind of a funny experience. So I'm at Cellcor 
eco event, which I love and I go to for the last couple of years. They're absolutely amazing. One of the best microbiology classes you can possibly take in the United States for advanced practitioners. And um, Danielle was one of the last speakers right after Dr. Schaffner. And we were fascinated by her subject matter, which was breast implant illness. And this is something that I want to bring a lot of light to as well, because I've seen it in our practice and with our client base working in lymphatics and fascia. But as Danielle's speaking, she's talking about all these things. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know her? Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, fascia, lymph, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then she throws up a slide. She starts talking about Floprezo. I'm like, what the hell? How does she know about Floprezo? I don't know this woman. Oh my God. Then she starts talking about Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And I was like, wait, what is happening? Who is this woman? How? And for those of you who don't know, Doylestown, Pennsylvania is 10 minutes up the road from where I live. And she's like doing research with a, a plastic surgeon. I was like, what is happening? How do I not know this woman? And I go up and of course idiot i was there last year at cellcore danielle came up i met her briefly doctor or not doctor but peter howe put her on flow prezzo the next day when i had to leave and i didn't have a like a a great deep kit like time with her so unfortunately i didn't remember but when i went and hugged her afterward it was like i need to know you what you're doing is amazing i want to work more with you and we had just an instant connection and as the universe would have it put us on a plane that was delayed, upgraded me to first class, and we got to sit next to each other for like three or four hours. And just, I'm sure everybody up in first class was like, I wish these two women would shut up. Well, they actually said that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, like, we're talking now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So tell us uh, a little bit. Thank you for your time today. I know you have a lot going on. You have a summit coming up, which we wanted to talk about as well. Um, and so I know how busy that is as you're getting to crunch time. So thank you for giving us your time today. But we really have a true passion. And so explain to them about your background and how you got to where you are. Whew. It's interesting. Well, yeah. You know, so. In you can my, start when you were born. No, when I was born um, and we walked uphill both ways to school. No. So in, I graduated um, PA school in 1999. And before that, I was in industry, and they they call us field clinical engineers, and and what we did was we for me it was pacemakers at the time, and ablation technology and internal cardio defibrillators. Those are class three medical devices. I promise you, this fits into what I'm doing now. Yes. Um, but then I had no idea, right? Like so. Uh, I'm learning research. I'm learning regulatory. I'm helping people put in implantable devices and. Um, and then we follow them for a long period of time and you get to see how they are. And in hindsight, it's quite intriguing that many people um, that receive a life-saving device, they definitely get to have more life. And you can see them, you know, when, they when you have congestive heart failure, sometimes you deteriorate over time and the quality becomes um, different. So fast forwarded a little bit later in life, um, I'm 48 years old, I lose 40 pounds, and I decide I'm going to get breast implants, right? Like, why not? They're, they're class three medical devices. I read the research, just like what I have been doing for the past 30 years, and I went to a very reputable uh, plastic surgeon, and they said, you know what? I think augmentation breast implants would, be, would serve you best. So I get the breast implants. And three months in, I started to, like, I, I, I felt like I never healed from that, the surgery. Now, my, uh, I know I'm data dumping a lot, 
uh, trying to get a whole bunch of years into a small little package. Um, I had something called Graves' disease, which is a thyroid disease and autoimmune disease. And, 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 and I got breast implants. What was not disclosed to me was that if you have an autoimmune issue or asthma or allergies in your close-knit family or yourself, then breast implants might not be mm. for you because it can trigger more, uh, let's just say inflammation, and then that can exacerbate your autoimmune disease or have you get another one. So I think for me in that first three months of having implants, I was impacted so quickly because I had an autoimmune issue. Mm. And and it took me about uh, like the, the first six to nine months, I just had insidious symptoms over time, like hair loss, fatigue, swelling, um, my, my ankles were just incredibly swollen and, um, and then knees and then. Did uh, you relate it to your breast implants at the time? No. Okay. Why That's what I? I'm wondering. Right. You just got <laughs> breast implants and then next thing you know, you're like not feeling well, you just lost all this weight. And so and, I'm sure you were trying to figure it out as a, yeah, as a PA, as a brilliant woman Western that knows how to medicine. research. Yeah, but in Western medicine, you go to the, and, and Western medicine has its place. Like that's where- Of I'm course, asking. yeah. Um, but like the ER didn't know how to help me when I had the migraine. You know, they thought I had like a brain aneurysm and being worked up for all of this. And, and I didn't have a brain aneurysm. It was an exertional migraine and things like that, but they have to cover themselves. And each time, whether it's family medicine, orthopedics, neurology, I'm like, do you think it's the breast implants? Like the, and I, at that time I was just thinking the linear weight of them here, head, you know, making your head posture forward, shoulders rolled forward, because that was, I think for me, it was maybe two and a half pounds added, um, you know, literally overnight with the with right. CCs that I had. And so I just thought it was weight and the plastic surgeon said, no, like everyone was like, no, it's something else. So I went through because of the migraines, right? Because you were what you were primarily dealing with was head pain. So you head thought pain. maybe the muscles were being stretched because of the physical additional weight yeah. that was added to your skeleton that then caused you to maybe do headward forward position, rolling up, and you're like, oh, that's why I'm getting all these headaches. That was yeah. your that was your differential then, at that yeah. point and then the fatigue was in my brain because i wasn't sleeping well because of the headaches because of the stiffness and then as i looked this is where i started to get really into the lymph and the fascia you know then you start to look at the brachial plexus and the cervical spine and the cervical nerves and or cranial nerves and the vagus nerve and all of that and i was like huh and so that was the route i went and everyone said no you know you're wrong i don't think so but take this medicine, see if this makes you feel better. Like it was always chasing symptoms. And and then I had a colleague, um, a field clinical engineer guy say, I think you might have um, something called breast implant illness. And I was just like, what, <laughs> like, what is this? Um, and I had already had a schedule to have them just removed because we thought maybe it was the weight, right? Um, and then I, then I looked it up and I'm like, oh, I need to take the capsule out too because it's like the catcher's mitt. And um, I, I didn't even have the implants for two years. And this October 31st will be five years explanted. 
And I tell you what, when I woke up from explant, I knew I had done the right thing. Like the breath, my breath was bigger. Um, I felt, I felt lighter. Uh, I felt it's the weirdest feeling to feel like you can breathe. It wasn't like I wasn't breathing, but the weight was lifted. So I thought, oh, maybe it was the weight. But then the fatigue, every, the swelling, everything went away. Like about 70% went away. Hmm. And I was just like, there's something more to this than just the weight. And then from there, I just started to dive in. And I, I then looked at how they did their research to make it a, an approved class three medical device and all the things. And there was just a bunch of mix matches for me. And so, so just diving down deep in that, and then the summit having more, people who are uh, who study this more better different than I do from immunology to um, explanting to radiology you know to molecular biology we all get together every two years to discuss where the research should go where it can go and how do we best support people who have breast implants right so if anyone's listening and you have breast implants like we now have ways to objectively measure if you're concerned that your breast implants might be impacting you and things like that. So, so that's that in a nutshell. <laughs> well, there's a lot to unpack there for sure. I but I, I, I want to bring up a couple things first and foremost, which is for us as bioregulatory practitioners, scars are going to block the, the nervous system from healing. So when you go get a breast implant and it, you know, you're going to have a scar and I'm going to back up one thing and just say this. I know this is a sensitive subject. This is a sensitive subject for every woman and every man that listens to this, that knows somebody that's been impacted by either considering breast implants, having breast implants, as well as any other, um, surgery. any other surgeries or implants. Like it's a big deal. And I, we don't take this lightly. And I appreciate there was a client years ago that I, when I do my initial intakes on, with clients, I ask all sorts of questions about scars, about dental implants, about you know things that might be blocking their nervous system. And she had been a client for quite a few months and she wasn't getting better and I couldn't figure it out. And on her research, she came back and said, I had breast implants and I think I have breast implant illness. She had a mis mixed connective tissue disorder, which is a mm. horrible um, diagnosis. And so, she was able to explain and you know all that but it was honestly i i fell on the sword and was like i'm so sorry i never asked that i never considered breast implants this was maybe eight or nine years ago i just never did and now it's like do you have dental implants do you have breast implants do you have um an IUD. Gluteal, gluteal implants iud's these are all and, and asking somebody to get rid of something that you got because you were already in a position of thinking emotionally like, hey, I need to look better because I don't like my body. It could look better. And then asking you to then remove that because it's making you ill potentially or could. I get the emotional piece to this. And, and Danielle and I are going to talk about that. So I don't want any of you listening to think that I'm flippantly talking about, oh, and now we're going to get the breast implants out. I just want to talk about all the things that breast implants affect in the body because I think, like Danielle, this is a frontier. Like, how many thousands of women get breast implants a year? Um, it, thankfully, it's lessening, but it is uh, like 250,000. A year. When a she year. said that statistic, I, I was like... I talk about can't breathe. I, I mean, I 
verbally was like, oh! and there was two times in her presentation, I think she looked over at me because I was like, oh! I was shocked. I was sitting next to Dr. Schaffner. I was like, can you believe this? I am blown away. I just didn't know what the process entailed. I mean, as a stick finger young woman, woman, I honestly considered it in my 18 to 23 year range. Um, and it was right after the car accident that I was like, there's no way I'm going under the knife. Like I, I just have no desire mm-hmm. to do that. So that is the only thing honestly that stopped me is my hesitation to go under anesthesia. Outside of that, there was a thousand reasons in society and looking in the mirror that caused me to want to get breast implants. But that, I mean, I am a very small, very small, a a cup like ridiculous could not wear a bra the rest of my life and nobody would probably really notice but I've learned to love my body now and I've learned to get through that but that has taken a long time and I'm so thankful that I'm so scared of anesthesia that I didn't do it but there's a lot of women that did that weren't scared of that and this is why we're having this conversation to talk about when's the right time if it's right for you and why we want you to consider it because of what danielle has uncovered and will continue to educate us about yeah and at the end of the day just empowered informed consent Mm. you know like we ideally most of us who are going through this trajectory are adults and we get to choose what we do with our bodies, with our minds, and that's a pri- that's a privilege. Not everyone gets to even have this contemplation, right? And then there's another trajectory of people who have breast cancer, and then what do you do after a mastectomy? And the gold standard is to have expanders placed and implants placed, and and they're actually the higher risk group, right? And and then the reconstruction revision is a is a high risk group as well. Um, and so it, it it's a tough call. I'm not looking I'm looking for breast implants to be safe. I'm looking for people who have breast implants to know the risks so we know what to look for but not run out of fear. You know, not do things out of like um, like this this shouldn't be a fear based conversation. And um, yeah. I think just to empower people. And when I first heard what remove the implants after putting them in, that was hard because one, I just put them in, but if they were making me this sick, I have to take them out. And then the the emotional thing was like, I did this to myself and you feel like death when you're at the peak of what we call breast implant illness. It is, it is not, you know, I don't wish this on anyone. And we have choices now and we have screening now. And so let's go over that a little bit. So if that way people know that uh, they can look to see if the breast implants are impacting them. Yes, please. The, the imaging study um, that we can do is an, uh, what they call a breast MRI. And it is best if you use contrast because you can, you can see more when you have contrast. Many people are allergic to contrast, so you have to make that discernment. And then they look for the breast implant integrity versus the trajectory of mammogram ultrasound breast MRI. This is specifically to look at the breast implant integrity. And then you can take that file and send it to, we'll, I, I, we'll put it in the notes, uh, Dr. Eduardo Flores studies silicone-induced granulomas within the breast implant capsule. 
and uh, and he will assess the imaging he and his team will assess the imaging uh, for free and if you have this granuloma sometimes it's really small it just means that your body's responding to the implant and you have an inflammatory cascade from that implant and any practitioner the first thing i'm gonna do you're gonna do is let's take away the inflammation get you out of the mold get you out of the situation remove the toxic load and then help you heal from that right so that would be my objective sign that says okay we need to consider explant right and if you have symptoms and this granuloma then move towards explant faster you know uh, in a timely manner start to save up financially and do the things and if you don't have symptoms and you have this granuloma maybe you have a little bit more breathing room the goal is to remove before you have symptoms or before you get a diagnosis of connective tissue issues or autoimmune by the time you've gotten that designation it's um it's just harder to you can still optimize health for sure but it can be harder in a longer road that's all so looking for that sign and looking for a practitioner that can help navigate you that way would be um, a good idea and in the interim keep that lymph open <laughs> yes and, and move yeah i, I want to talk about and thank you for bringing up the lymph yes keep pumping those lymph nodes if you don't know how to do it go to the website the true on the center pump your nodes get some topical ointment dr Schaffner's lymph flow cream is amazing or iteries is incredible um to really get your nodes moving because as danielle said if the leak is still there, you've got to make sure that the toxins are moving out faster than they're being exposed to them. And if the breast implant is still placed or the IUD or whatever the implantable device is, is still placed and the body's responding and reacting to it, then the leak is still there. No different than if you still have silver fillings or root canals in your mouth that you got to really be diligent at keeping up because there's there's endotoxins that are created essentially from the body trying to fight what it sees as foreign material or foreign invaders inside the body. Yeah. But I, I, I want to talk and back up a little bit for those who don't know, because I certainly didn't. Um, when clients come in and I ask if they have breast implants, I ask a question, is it silicone or is it saline? And I know, right? I was blown out of the water by this one. Can you go through that a little bit? I don't want to steal your thunder because I was like, wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah, no, it makes no difference because the shell, the envelope that contains the whatever on the inside is silicone and it's cross-linked and it's a polymer and this polymer has gaps or and or sheds and or degrades and that is the first uh, handshake your body has with the implant and that is the response that your body will react to and make the capsule around that right and it's making a capsule to ideally protect you from so there's an envelope that they place inside to put the implant in right so it's oh. like a, a shell um it, the implant right is uh just a shell like a like a almost like a ball a flat ball um, like an empty balloon if it's saline they'll they'll put that in uh deflated and then they'll inflate it with saline sterile saline and that's how the, some of the saline ones work the gel ones are already filled and they put it in fully formed formed but all of it's in this cap this 
This capsule. This capsule, oh, which is... Me. this. Uh, well, let's call it envelope. an envelope or a shell. An envelope, a shell, but that's always silicone, even if they're filling it always. with saline. Yeah. Always. So if you and have then, saline, you have a silicone implant. Right. And, that's, and then that, that silicone envelope is a little porous, is what you're saying. Yeah. And so the body creates a non-porous envelope itself around the envelope of fascia, yeah, but I wouldn't say it's non-porous. Okay. Because we know that it migrates. We know mm -hmm. it's like the best collagen type matrix of all good stuff to to hold that um, breast implant in place and to protect you as best it can. And some of us make a very thin catcher's mitt and some of us make a very thick contracted uh, catcher's mitt, right? But stuff can get through that defense system that our body has made and then it migrates into the via the lymph via macrophages and monocytes in the whole whole nine yards and travels throughout the body so when you have a breast implant from day one you are being exposed to silicone you are being they call it gel bleed the companies know that this happens and um, it knows uh, they know that in an intact shell um, we get mostly silicone of different molecular weights, platinum and tin. We get some other good stuff too, but those are the, the bulk of the, the weight in the testing that they did. So and it doesn't the, matter. The fush is creating basically scarification to wall off this foreign object. And what Danielle's saying is that no system in the body is closed. There's no system in the body that's closed because of the fascia, yeah. because fascia literally touches every single aspect of the body and so you you can't unwind it and she's going to talk more about that because she just came back from the fascia conference and we want to delve into fascia a little bit more too because it's so fascinating as much as we love lymph i think we're more in love with fascia would you agree well it's all it's all together so, yeah it is <laughs> like, yeah you can't yeah. have one without the other yeah um and one other thing if we're talking about scar right here, here we do. I kind of do this at every podcast, but yeah. we think the scar tissue where they put the implants in is here. They can go in the arm. They can go around the areola. It's the breast implant. That's your scar tissue. 360. That's right. right? If it's under the muscle, it's scar tissue in that fascial plane. Mm -hmm. And then they cut the muscle, right? So mm -hmm. we think it's just what we see in the scar tissue of the C-section or the scar tissue of, you know, the 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 knee or, or the different things but it's inside it goes and so deep and when when that was the other oh, when you showed the picture of the cutting of the pectoral muscle to place the implant under it my whole <laughs> my whole nervous system was like oh shock and awe because it's so I did not know they did that. I didn't know they I did that. I would never have, like, never ever, like, and I'm, you know, they just didn't disclose that they did that when they went under the muscle. They're, oh, under the muscle should be best for you. Okay. It's a fascial plane at that time, right? It's a, yeah. it's a fascial plane where, you know, nothing exists and you can just open it up and put something in. That sounds great. And the only reason I knew But that there are no empty spaces in the body and you're cutting tissue that then the body has to repair from and it's going to affect 
tensegrity, all other aspects of the body. Mm. So let alone the silicone leakage and the saline potentially bursting, you're really, it's about the scarification for me and the, the interruption of the nervous system tissue and the interruption of the communication. Just think about, I, w I wish I had my PowerPoint here, but just think about the, you know, what we're doing with the pec major, right? We're, we're lifting it, but we're also pulling it down. And then what attaches, right? Uh, SCMs, you get scalenes, you get a whole bunch of things right to the occiput. And what comes out of the occiput other than like the vagus nerve and the accessory nerve and all the things. So now your traps are like this, your shoulders are like this, this is pulling down. What's gonna happen to your cervical spine? I bet C1 and C2 won't hold an adjustment, <laughs> like, you know, and you, we wonder why. So, and now the nervous system has a tougher time communicating and now allergies and inflammation, well, inflammation is going to be harder for the body to deal with. Yep. And, and there now, if there is inflammation, which is as beautiful that there's a way to test this and what a nice, wonderful man to be willing for him and his team to test it for free to see if you have this. So then you can figure out your plan Yeah. that takes like, do I need to do it in a hurry? Do I have symptoms or am I symptomless? And I'm doing this more preventively, regardless, I'm opening up my lymph and I'm working my fascia and I'm starting to be aware of the stress that this beautification is causing the body. And then we could go and spend an entire hour talking about how we got to the point where women felt the need for yeah. needing to beautify their God-given beautiful bodies. You know, I, I have clients who choose, powerfully choose to keep their implants for whatever reason. Maybe they have a two and a three-year-old at home. They're, they just got over cancer diagnosis and you know, they don't have grounding just in life, right? Like they're trying to figure it all out. Um, and some of these women actually have SIGVIC and we still optimize their health and we know what's in the deck. So I, I, you know, what's in your wallet and how do you want to, you know, spend your time, your money, your quality of life? Like they have vitality and then, and then COVID hits, right? And then all that stuff, like, how as long as you know your choices to balance life i think i think you can play it that way and and know the deeper dive is why are you choosing what you're choosing is it for self is it for family and if you can do that non-judgmentally um i think we win at the whole life game anyway so is it too late to dive into that <laughs> no no i totally agree i think that when we first started learning about the dental piece and all the blockades to healing, you know, I'm the personality that was like, okay, I'm at the dentist the next week. I'm getting my amalgams pulled out. I'm having my wisdom teeth cavitation cleaned out, blah, blah, blah. As I started to work with client base, I realized that not everybody can go as fast as hard. It's not appropriate. Not, And then, you know, you meet clients that have seven root canals, 20 root canals, and you're like, well, I don't want you to pull your teeth. Like that's, that's like, okay. So let's say you have, implants and you've had uh, dental implants, breast implants, and gluteal implants. Well, am I going to just have you lay on a table and take all that out? That would be more traumatic and detrimental. So I always, Ayn and I always talk about a therapeutic index of if something makes you more stressed to get rid of something than to keep it, 
there's a there's a, a profit and loss, so to speak, yeah, like you were saying. And yeah, and, and you got to make the right determination of when is the right time. Like we had a young client recently who has a root canal that was definitely causing, they had some mold exposure in the house. Mom brought her in um, and essentially, you know, she had Dr. Caratola look at her root canal and we were like, yeah, she needs that root canal pulled. There was a small infection. Okay, but she is also 30 days away from going to college for the first time in her life. Maybe we don't do it right now. Maybe we just boost her lymph, boost her immune, send her to college, and then in the springtime, have the root canal extracted. Let's not pull a tooth from an 18-year-old young woman who's about to meet a bunch of new people and be at a new campus and have all sorts of new stressors. Like, you got to take everything into account when you're working with people. So it's, again... This is a very sensitive subject. I understand that. And I want everybody to hear us from our hearts. Hear us. This is not about fast and hard and rip everything out of your body. Mm -hmm. This is about testing, figuring out what is affecting you, if it's affecting you, how much it's affecting you, and making a plan to either offset the effect that it's having on you or to make the decision if that's if you feel supported in that to explant and then what that looks like and how to support you around that yeah and if i in hindsight if i if i knew what i know now about my nervous system i would have loved to have gone back and asked myself what did i need in this moment in this moment in this moment um because i did i was when you're sick and you have brain fog and you don't know what's next or what's going to trigger you next or I, you know, it's hard to be grounded to make choices and decisions and, mm. um, and so having a support structure and a process to check in with yourself, like what, what do you need? I think that's it. I think that's the biggest gift that I have now out of all of this trauma is that I can check in and say, oh, that makes me feel a little off or that's perfect or you know and if it right now for me at almost 56 if it's not a yes it's definitely a no right <laughs> until it's a yes and then what do I where do I find the grace and ease and you know sometimes there's things I need to give up or understand more or be with more um, and the more I can get rid of the judgment of myself mostly uh, the easier it is for me to hear what's best for me so tr tangent sort of but not really judgment of self that's something that i've been working on for a couple of years it was actually the beginning of covid i was having a conversation at the kitchen table ein was sitting across from me um with somebody from my family and i hung up and i s turned to ein and i go my goodness do i judge people as harshly as i've just been judged on like everything that came out of my mouth was I heard the judgment from the other side of the phone and he turns to me and goes, yes. And I was like, whoa, whoa. Okay. Really? He goes, yeah. And I was like, all right, I'm going to start to look at that a little deeper. And I mean, those of you that have been listening to me or have been clients for 20 years, you know that I've been on a journey and in full disclosure, yep, I've been judgmental of many of you as well as me and myself the most and the most harsh. And I have really learned how to recognize the, the depths of the entanglement of judgment. And 
I think honestly, when you were speaking, it hit me in the heart so much to realize that even if we don't, even if we're brought up in a house where people love us and the parents love us and we're, we're grown up in this beautiful home, society has layers of judgment of shoulds and shouldn'ts in life for every component of our life that it is a like a mosh pit to work through to find out where you lay with all of that, regardless of how everybody else feels about what we do in our lives. How do we feel about how we live our lives and what we do in our lives? It is such a deep entanglement. I know for me, would you mind sharing your story about that? Because I mean, just even last week doing a podcast with my hair up in a bam bam style and I was like I'm sitting instead of standing I was like okay this is it I'm there's nothing left I'm wearing no makeup and wearing my hair in a bam bam style there's nothing left <laughs> I got no 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 shields to uncover so yeah you know, I think I'm still in the whole process I think where I am in it is I can I am able to see where well not all the time I can see where I'm judging and I, I don't, I, I, I'm not, I'm not at a place where I don't judge. I just, I'm like, oh shit, oh, excuse me. <laughs> it's okay. Wait, it's fine. No judgments. No I'll judgments. Do it again, right? Like no and, judgments. And it's hard. Like I didn't know. I didn't know. You know, in the moment of getting breast implants and having people say it's okay, yeah, yeah, I do it. Right at 48, like. Uh, I was in the best shape of my life, and so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go for the gold ring, the, you know, to look the best, to feel as good as, I mean, to look as good as I felt. And um, I didn't, I didn't stop to say, see what it was running the show. I didn't, I, it, like, it was all in joy, so I thought, right? And in hindsight, it's, I, I'm still processing it. it it's. Like right now where I'm at is like, it was such a privilege to make that choice, like to be able to have the money to do it, to be able to think the outcome would be good, all of this and to live in, in America where like you can go and get breast implants today if you want to, right? Um, what's a shame is that there, we, we live in a society and a culture where we're fostering this context for women for girls for you know like if i i don't have children but if i had a little girl um in hindsight i'd be like oh what what role model am i setting for her now to think of like when i alter myself that it's okay to do like what what's the message to the to the children and i think culturally as women we we are uh, i was just talking to somebody about this we're brought up to not take the biggest piece of cake but damn Mm. it i'm the biggest piece of cake right it all ties (laughs) into the same conversation right especially if it's a coconut cream cake i I, I want the biggest piece but you're not supposed to do that or you're supposed to sit with your legs crossed or you're supposed to do this or you're supposed to have this curvy figure or or not curvy figure depending on what year it is right yeah and um what, you're supposed to wear mascara on a podcast. You're supposed to dye your hair. You're supposed to do all these things, um, but we're not taught to check in with ourselves and and what we want and you know what is what is authenticity. You know, you listen to Garbha Mate's uh, 
wonderful lectures on authenticity versus attachment. And I think we, I, I can only speak from being a female and who identifies as female. I, I don't know what it's like for, for men or for transgender or that. But for me, we're brought up, um, I think ple people pleasers and, and doing the things and being the fixers, or at least I was, right? Like, and, and then you give up part of yourself for each of those choices. Not like bad, I think this is what we do as humans, but um, if we could cultivate true authenticity longer or, or earlier in infancy, I think that, that would be good. There's, there's so many layers. Like as I'm speaking of that, it's like, if you grew up in a single family, a single parent home versus two parent home, loving home versus like, I was never at a lack of love and I still, you know, became more attached to making sure I felt safe and secure and doing the things. And that's how my personality is today. Um, so back to your question of, of judgment, I think it's it's all of that from culture to bringing up to um, privilege to um, needing to look good or feel good at 48, definitely hitting middle age and menopause getting ready to start and so yeah I wanted to look good and wow I actually had a shot at it so why not right and so now I'm with at 56 like what are my what do I want to do for myself now like do I want to dye my hair no and saying no and letting this grow out so liberating I never thought it would be liberating it may not be liberating for somebody else but I was like huh I kind of like my little racing stripe right it, um, it, and that's the self-judgment, I think what you've done is highlight, and we've talked about in other podcasts, but the first step is just awareness. Yeah. And and I found comically, ironically, with the self-judgment to not judge yourself when you're judging yourself and judging others. It's kind of like, oh shit, I didn't know how deep this went. Like, I'm judging myself because I'm judging myself and I should need to stop judging myself over judging myself. Really? Holy crap, what just happened? Like, whoa, I'm gonna... And, and the gray hair thing, as these followers know, like, I have, ha I've leaned into it a little bit during COVID. COVID made it and I, and I had so many people telling me to lean in. It was my own, like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'm not... I don't know if I'm ready for that. And it was because of a previous experience of my mom who colored her hair for years and years and then just one day stopped. Didn't tell me, didn't see her for six months, showed up and was like, whoa, what happened? You're fully gray and white. And it just felt like that's exactly what I was doing because I've been prematurely gray since I was 26, coloring my hair forever in a day. COVID hits and I was like, eh, she's in South Carolina. I'm in Pennsylvania. It's a long way away. Uh -huh. And she was the one that was like, how about if we just highlight around the gray because it's silvery gray. But still, I mean, now I'm doing it like twice a year. I look in the mirror, pull my hair back or something. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of gray hair there. Wow. Watching yourself, judging yourself for now over a year. And it's getting easier to not judge myself. And I'm almost at the point where I'm like, I'm ready to like own it really own it but this is a process for one stupid little thing well and it's but it's not in my world it's not stupid and mm -hmm. what's interesting is like where did we get the story that gray hair wasn't cool right I mean, you have young kids dyeing their hair gray and purple and pr pink and green right like 
why, why, like when I go to my hairdresser, like he's still my hairdresser. I still want him to make it shiny and, and cut it and do all the things. And he's like, you really need to dye your hair. Like, you know, like it, it's, it's embedded in our culture. So what and I more so for women than men, because a silver fox, right? That's the term we use for a man with silver hair. Yeah. Do not use that for a woman necessarily. And it, it's like interesting because in other cultures, the wise women and men have silvery white hair. And I have a question for you. So this is something that I, I, I don't know the answer for. What is the difference? Um, you know, I, I lost the question, but it's, it's around adornment versus, um, you know, like when we like ritual or wearing a crown with pretty jewels, right? Mm -hmm. I guess that's also even uh, an epitaph of privilege in, in society and mm -hmm. culture. But like, there are times when like, I wanna feel pretty. Why is it that I then go and do my hair and put on makeup or, mm. you know, put on like perfume or, or a pretty dress, right? Mm -hmm. Like when is it adornment and when is it not? right? Like, I think it, it, dormant could be more nourishing versus like breast implants or, or, um, or even like a tattoo, right? Like the permanence and the different things. I think there's a conversation there that I would, I would, I'm not really doing good with my words right now, but there's, there's a difference between. No, I hear what you're saying. Like, I, um, I want to, talk about women going out with other women because I and I've joked about it for years that it's it's a weird thing that we're going to talk about in a second but it was what you were just saying earlier when you were talking you're like talking about getting your breast implants and you said I wanted to look as good as I felt yeah and my heart broke a little bit when you said that and I was like now that's something to unpack why is it First of all, what I've seen in my own personal health is the better I feel, the prettier I look. Like, it's weird. Like, I'm watching the mirror change year in and year out because I'm changing on my internal system, and it's showing up differently on the outside. Yeah. Better, better skin, better hair, better nails, clarity in my eyes, my posture's better, all the things, right, which improves your overall look, and if you're pooping, sweating, peeing, and bleeding properly, then all the systems are working on high alert. It's like having a race car, everything looks better, and it performs better for you. But what is it about us that goes, I feel good, and now I want to show what it lo what that looks like on the outside versus just a smile and a brightness in our eyes. And it's true. It's like when it's the same concept of like, I'm going out for a girl's night with all my girlfriends or a bachelorette party. And Ian's always like, why do you always look the best <laughs> when you're going out with a bunch of other women? Like, it's weird. Like we go out on a date night and I'm like, I'll throw on a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and my, my flip flops and call it a date. But if it's Jess and Julie and we're going out dancing, I'm like putting on the clothes, looking, looking good. And it, and we've, I've stopped this since because I've called myself out on it. But I've watched this for years. Do it, and I was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's because we compete with other women more than we do with... It's not... We don't get dressed up for men and, and like, our opposite sex we're trying to attract. We're getting dressed up as competition, it feels like, to me. 
Some of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Yeah, I don't, I don't know that if I had it specifically uh, dressing up for women versus men, but definitely like thinking that looking good made a difference in how I would feel and how I was perceived, regardless mm. if it were men or women, especially in the, in the workplace where I was at, right? Like, yeah. just looking good was a, a status symbol, not so much healthy, you know, like, uh, looking healthy that never rang a bell until now i feel so shallow <laughs> uh, but no but it's true like looking good meant more you know being a certain size in jeans growing up um, i remember in high school trying to fit into jordas jeans do you remember jordas i sure do god that when you're a greek girl Jordash just doesn't work for you. <laughs> <laughs> Little A-line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just even the struggle trying to get in, laying on the bed, trying to zip them up and, you know, hope they didn't rip when you stood up and things like that. Like, like it, it, I think that struggle was always, you know, I would even the kids trying to buy the different, like, I'm sure they don't call them Reebok now, but you, the different shoes. And when you go to school, you want to look good and have the cool computer in the cool computer bag we had lunch boxes or brown paper bags well yeah i just had this conversation with one of silas's friends from football the other night like his her kid wants the you know expensive basketball sneakers not for basketball but to wear at school yeah. and i i mean we have the exact same problem silas is like i want this name brand and this name brand so he can look good to go to school and i was like wow and you definitely don't get this from us at home because at home it's like there's no yeah, and so what is what is that is that just what marketing? is that is that just so I, I think it's the same seed the same same thing and and it's not like it's bad but it, no. I think there's got to be a a perspective there there's a perspective I have now that I didn't have then and if I had it then I maybe I would have gone for implants again but I I I, 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 I don't think I would because I I think that there would have been a wholeness that it wouldn't have done right by my nervous system if I were able to check in then to, to, to look. Yeah. I didn't so, have those tools. And let's, we've dived into the spiritual side and the emotional side, which I'm happy to do. And I don't want to lose sight of some of the things that we, that you uncovered for me in your presentation at Cellcor in regards to the class three medical device. And I mean, so talk about a little bit about your electrophysial background and a little bit more about what that really was and what you did, because I find it, first of all, very fascinating. And, and I've learned this in other, in other realms in my life where, you know, you think that surgeons are in a surgery and that they know all the things about the equipment. And then when you learn about people that are in medical sales are just salespeople that learn about equipment that then sell equipment to, to hospitals and so forth. And then they're in the surgical room with the surgeon teaching the surgeon how to use the equipment. It all kind of gets a little like, huh, what? And, but it is fascinating because there are technical people like you that went out and did research. So talk a little bit about that. Cause I think this, this is just well, awareness and, is key. Yeah. And 
and I, I feel, or my stand is that what I did is so different than what I see in the breast implant industry world. And that's, that's what kind of hurts in my brain. And, and that's why I advocate the way I do, because it, it's a mixed match. And a class three medical device is a, a device in which it can alter physiology. It can um, it just impact the human body. Uh, and basically it's implantable. So cardiac ablation um, is also like a class three type of procedure. So they any type of surgery, which now we call procedures, right? To make it lighter, to make it more palatable, um, that impact the body in such a way need regulation, need um, acute studies and need chronic studies and long-term studies to see how things do. And in the pacemaker world, in the ICD world, um, we look at that pacemaker for years, 10 years, the valves for, for as long as the person lives and longer, right? Like we follow to see, is that doing what it needs to do? And is it, is it um, missing a beat? Is the electricity doing what it needs to do, getting to the tissues and things like that? Because if it's not, there's a life altering or life, I mean, they're life sustaining devices, right? And what I find in the breast implant world is that they didn't do long-term studies. They intended to, but they cut them short because they didn't have follow-up of the patients. And these weren't life-sustaining devices, so they they just let the patient be lost to follow-up. In my job, if I had a patient be lost to follow-up, that would be like a, a ding on my record, right? So we would make sure we follow these patients up. And sometimes it's every three months, sometimes it's every six months, and then it will go to every week, right? So there's, there's so much more intensity of uh, the class three medical devices I worked on as a person, uh, as a person, <laughs> as, a, as an engineer, and um, to, to what we're seeing now and even uh, the follow-up for the devices and, and breast implants. I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah, so in with cardiology, you were looking at the, the equipment and seeing its effectiveness to help create, to, to create an ablation, not create an ablation, but do an ablation, or other pieces of equipment that you were looking at, the efficacy of yeah. what it was doing in the procedure, and then you followed it for 10, 20 years. Because they were life-saving devices, they had systems in place to track the efficacy of that right. equipment and that procedure. Safety and efficacy. Safety and efficacy. Yeah. Then you went and looked, in hindsight, after your breast implants were placed, to see, okay, how does this class three medical procedure... How did this research... How, what was what did they do for this research, right? And, and, and what you found was... It was very lacking, very lacking. And then when we look at biocompatibility and biodegradation, like literally the study that they put in their dissertation to the FDA was that they took a breast implant, they put it in serum, some put it in bovine serum, some use other serum, and they kept it at uh, 37 degrees Celsius body temperature for 90 days. That was their assessment. And even in that small window of assessment, 
they found silicone in the serum, they found the metals in the serum and things like that. And they reported on that, which was great. But how does that reflect a human body over time? And initially in 2006, they never said change out the implants, right? And now they came, oh, the FDA just put out some new guidelines as well. We should give people yeah. a link, you know, go to the FDA, you know, you could type in FDA breast implants guidelines and, and you'll see that they're slowly recognizing the impact that they could have, but they didn't do the testing. If, if we didn't have follow-up on a pacemaker or registries, even after our research was done, we would never know how to improve upon them, how to mitigate some of the, you know, design flaws in the beginning, you know, like things need to change so we can improve. And like in the ablation arena, we now have different, um, uh, energy sources to kill the heart tissue all due to research and time and with an ablation that you can follow someone acutely and like maybe for a year and have that be be enough because um, it's not an implantable device kind of thing so there's there's some pretty significant uh, regulatory processes that happen and there's a lot of data within like even the NIH to know how to do research and and I don't see that the breast implant manufacturers use that and maybe in all I'll even call out most all of the uh, industries for plastic surgery because now they're using breast implants as gluteal implants and um, uh, uh, calf implants and, and different things um, and essentially how they've tested this to this point hasn't been in humans they test to see if something can go to market by putting it in serum for 90 days that's at room get, temperature. And that's how they get to get a uh, what they call an IDE. Here's an investigational device exemption um, uh, clinical study you can do on this number of women, right? And so it's like an, a quick approval for now you can use this device and you can put it in humans. Only under research. Under right? research, so, okay. So they do that for whatever they said they would do. Like I think Allegren said 10 years, but they really gave the data at seven years. Don't really know how that happened, right? And for me to get that information takes me to fill out a, a request from the FDA and maybe I'll get that in a year or two. But And um, Allergen is one of the, Allergen or is that one of the top? is yeah. one of the top manufacturers of breast implants. And they just were bought by Ab AbbVie. Um, I think I'm saying that correctly. Okay. So they do this study, and then when they finish the study, they tally all the data, and they tally their pre-lookup data, and they give it to the FDA. And then the FDA goes through all the data, and they say, you can now sell your device, or you can now not sell your device. So they gave conditional approval for them to sell the, the device as long as you did this, um, they call it a post-market, like approval settle, a PMA. And, um, and then you do this and we'll make sure that that data matches this data and then we should be good to go. But they failed to comply with their post-market approval data. So we never got long-term data. We only had like- And yet they're still able to be on market. Yeah, in fact, every breast implant manufacturer got a warning for one reason or another in their PMA um, for different reasons, but it, it's when you get a warning from the FDA, it's a big deal and they're still able to sell the devices, right? And so 
in 2019, they declared the textured implants to be um, causing lymphoma in patients. So some of those were taken off the market. And at that time, all breast implants are now black box warning, which is the, the highest declaration you can get before taking them off the market, right? Like that, that it's a, oh, what do they call it? Um, it, it's saying that this can cause harm and it's literally on the box uh, but the problem is who sees the box who sees the box <laughs> the, the plastic surgeon so we as as people um, can know if we read the FDA website and the updates and the, and the guidelines on it but um, we wouldn't have known until recently because now the FDA made it a mandate that each plastic anyone coming in for breast implants they have to tell them all these things now it's a, it's a mandated checklist and if they don't go through the checklist with you, you you can you know have retaliation in the end. But you know it it's um, we're moving in the right direction for mm -hmm. informed consent. Uh, I hope all plastic surgeons are taking that part serious. They most plastic surgeons uh, think everything is rare, the systemic illness, the lymphomas, and the FDA just came out uh, on September eighth that breast implants cause squamous cell carcinoma within that capsule. And um, at the summit, we'll, we'll show, uh, Dr. Eduardo Flory will give a great presentation on these things. And, and we'll uh, have Scott Glassberg talk about the, the, the guidelines from a plastic surgeon perspective. And then the FDA is actually gonna talk on their, on their guidelines as well. But um, if you're a plastic surgeon and you are putting in implants, and that's your livelihood. I think it, it's a challenge to then shift to, oh, they cause harm. And, and if they do cause harm, am I still gonna put them in? But that's how my practice is based. Like it, I wouldn't wanna be them. Cause mm. if, they, if they find out they did harm, then they've been doing harm since they started placing their first implant, right? And granted they didn't know and not non-judgmentally, but I don't know if I knew I was harming patients by giving them a certain supplement, whatever, certain yeah, procedure, yeah. I think that would be so hard for me to be with. Especially people that get into an industry of healthcare that want to help people. I mean, you know, whether there's a lot of ven veins of plastic surgeons, but you know, as we're speaking, there's a lot that do beyond just like, oh, I want to make you look prettier. But yeah. you know, restoration after cancers or after some deformed accident of something yeah. and you know they do god's work honestly they they really help people restore their physical bodies so that they can have some kind of semblance and function oftentimes as well with that and here they are thinking that they're helping women i'm sure a lot of surgeons think and are doing great procedures helping women have a better life because now they feel more full or whatever yet then they're going to find out that oh my God, I've been doing damage to these yeah, women. And, and I, that's disheartening to say the least. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even know how to be with that. Yeah. Right. And if, in my journey with getting breast implants and, and then removing them, their journey will be, I think, very similar and, and right. eye-opening. Um, so there's so many spokes to this wheel. And at the end of the day, it, it's a very personal decision to get the implants, and it's a very personal decision to discern if you should explant, right? Um, so 
let's talk quickly if we could about self-care so let's say somebody's listening to this they have breast implants they're not in a place to get them out what would be your quick and i didn't ask you this beforehand i'm hopeful i'm not putting yeah. too much on the spot but yeah, no. you know what would be your quick two to three things that women can oh. start to do now drainage and drainage drainage and drainage did i say drainage can you see why we're good friends <laughs> best we, we were like bffs right from the get-go drainage drainage drainage, 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 drainage. <laughs> liver drainage kidney drainage intestinal drainage you know lymphatic yeah lymphatic is 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 for sure um you know i i don't keeping things fluid moving is great i'm plus or minus sauna with implants because it can be detrimental and it can be advantageous so that's a personal thing as part of the, the sweat but parasympathetic sweat with sauna post explant is like the best <laughs> as well um and if you could do live before sauna that's even better um replacing your nutrients making sure your digestion is working so you can replace the deficiencies or give what your mitochondria and immune system need so it can do what it needs to do for you. Like that would be number two. And then if you're still having... And how, how would they support their mitochondria? I mean, lymph and... We've talked a lot about lymph, so hopefully they know how to move their lymph, but how would they support their mitochondria? Um, there's so many ways, you know, from light therapy to um, making nutritional uh, support from making sure you have enough CoQ10, PQQ, zinc, um, minerals. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to uh, specifically name products, but- uh, just, That's okay, you can name products. Okay. There's a lot of Mito support out there, combination mm. yeah. uh, products. And um, I personally like the Cellcore line. Yeah, BCATP um, is great. And I would also say that um, those are things you can add in and damaging things that hurt your mitochondria is Wi-Fi radiation, electricity, and you know, anything you want to talk about electricity from any books you've read lately, um, Danielle? I'm just starting some of them, but you know, like in working, um, so if you have your implants in, know that the silicone shell is a great insulator, right? So conduction and scar matters i wouldn't go digging in there so much because it's the silicone that is um blocking energy so if we're gonna talk about energy i think the the what i used is grounding like literally going to lay on the ground like when i was having anxiety attacks from all the things like really trying to figure out how to ground and how to manage my nervous system was a big deal and how I do that now, how I maintain is I do use, um, for me, I use something called the Therisage sauna, which it has the red light therapy in it. I'll do that. Now I'll do it like once a week and that really helps my nervous system. Um, I think advanced Tuka or Tutka or Taurine really helps the nervous system as well and helps you digest. I think it does so many things there. Um, and then t removing the toxins, removing the EMF. You know, I should be wearing my uh, blue blockers and, and things like that. Um, for me, I stopped dyeing my hair and, and, you know, looking at all the toxins, all the impacts, so my body wouldn't have to deal with it. The liver is an interesting uh, drainage pathway in my world from estrogen 
to um, just all toxins, cytochrome P450, all of that kind of thing. So um, I, I think that was a little deeper. But electricity-wise, other than grounding, I don't really, I don't really, I don't know what else to do yet. So I'm a big fan of if you have fluorescent lights to turn them off. Oh, yeah. Um, because they really affect, and I think so many people are surrounded with fluorescent lights and light bulbs that they're not aware of. And please dispose of them properly uh, when you're disposing of them because they do contain mercury, which is a neurotoxin. So be careful and mindful. I used to play with that as a kid. Like, oh, my God. So crazy. I know. Um, but lights is a huge thing because the cells hear all that sound that's coming from the lights and it's very damaging to the mitochondria when you have this one directional light that's not natural light like I'm sitting in a room with a full spectrum light and windows and then I have shungite and organ and shoesy and all the things the seltzer and the harmonizer and the EMF rocks to handle oh and then the stickers the the quantum stickers to help just create the field of frequency to get as much scalar frequency to get away from the one directional frequency to help heal the body and help the binochondria. Yeah, and speaking of scalar, like for me, this is a new deep dive. And if anyone can find scalar technology near them to help them with their lymph and their fascia, that would be great. And um, like I, I, I wish I knew all the devices that could do it. One of the devices I used, because that's all I knew at the time, was something called the ST8, and that was yeah. scalar. That was, I think, probably the first scalar technology out there. Yeah, I think that's what LET was designed after. Was ST8 actually? Yeah. yeah. And so that the whole LET, the lymph enhancing technology, yep. lymphatic enhancing technology, phenomenal. Talk about. Talk about having, uh, I call it drop in your pocket, like the nervous system work. I, I love that for that. Um, and when you don't have access to all that, like restful sweat in a sauna is, it's also add value for your, for your nervous system. And, and it's completely free to do exactly what Danielle said is lay outside on the ground without your cell phone, but lay outside on the ground, touching the ground, not with rubber shoes on, but with your feet touching the ground and receiving the frequency from the earth, which is scalar frequency, allowing your body to re-communion, which is what the red light is doing. And just a shout out to Flowprezo with the infrared that's in Flowprezo, you're getting the warmth of it, you're not getting the light, but you have the nanotechnology that creates the scalar frequency. Um, it's on the back piece so that when you're going into that deep state of relaxation in the flow prezzo, you're able to get all those frequencies realigned and structure the water inside your body so you can hold the frequencies. Yeah, and I wish, so I can't wait in the next few months to dive into, um, there's, there's, a way to, there's a way to look at polarization in the body, which I'm, I'm, I'm just, an infant in this whole thing. And just like a chiropractic adjustment, I'd love to see how a person holds their polarity shift uh, to be in alignment versus not and what makes people flip. Do you know any of the science? 
Yeah, it's it's when their <laughs> when, when their body is structured. It's just what we were what I was saying. When when you structure the water inside their body by increasing the frequency by giving the light therapy and the sound therapy where there's deficiencies because of all the one directional light that we have and all the one directional Wi-Fi radiation that's around us, it's damaging the mitochondria, right? And it's damaging the cell structure, which are the antennas. So the way to rehab that is you create the proper frequency in the body by putting light in. So the Weber light watch, the low light laser watch we use, Ness Health. I mean, this is all stuff that's surrounding me right now for a reason. Ness Health, um, I have this on computer radiation when I'm on a computer, but I'll use this all the time for myself to rehab my frequencies. But um, anything that we can give the body, Flopreza will do it. Sound of Soul will do it. Infrared saunas will do it. Drinking hydrogen water will do it. And when you create structured water in the body, now it can hold information. So now the other therapies that you're layering on and the other remedies and the nutrition can be held on and translated in the proper ways that it needs to because everything is working in harmony instead of disharmony because the waves are in phase rather than in contrast because all the water is being structured it's going to geometric patterns so it's all in Fibonacci series which is allowing the healing to occur and so where would someone start with I mean red light from ground grounding red light get some kind of red light like Ian and I are always like you have to have a frequency something in your house that's creating prop proper frequencies of light and sound if you do, can't do anything else listen to Mozart or Bach it creates natural overtones which heals the body you can also you know red light is pretty easy you can even get a cheap little $50 light on Amazon that'll give you some little red light if you can't afford a thousand dollar therisage or you can't afford a fifteen hundred dollar Weber light watch with attachments you know there's all different price points for this stuff Nest Health is about thirty five hundred for the frequency generator um, which also has like a tens unit experience in it as well um, but iMate is another thing that Ion has that is a mu modulation allergy elimination technology, which is a quantum physics frequency reader and then generator. A lot of other people use AO scanner, but there's all sorts of like, but personal use, I'm like, get some kind of light in your house right away, some kind of therapeutic red light right away and get rid of all the nasty light bulbs that are killing you. <laughs> and then hack the wi-fi like Ian and i are just buying a new house and we went through the walkthrough the other day and the guy was like so this light switch right here will will handle that you know for your light over there so if, if you want to plug in your light and i and i are like oh, that's where we're going to put the wi-fi router right there so we don't have to put on a timer we can just turn it off when we go to bed and turn it on when we get up in the morning it's so easy so you know it's just finding ways to influence your body in a positive way by getting all that light. And sunlight is key, like going outside every day and getting sunlight, exposing your forehead to the light and without, your and your eyes, no sunglasses. Stop wearing sunglasses, please. Every, I mean, this was a big deal for me. I could not walk outside without sunglasses that way. Yeah, like my eyes, I have light, light, light blue eyes and light, light, light skin. So I didn't have a lot of melanin. But I fixed that, Dr. Jack Cruz's work. I fixed that with an infrared sauna. I sat in the sauna for 15 minutes a day for about six months, about five days a week, 
for the last four years, I've tanned and I can tolerate the sun. And I've stopped wearing sunglasses by doing that. I went out and looked at the sunset and looked at the sunrise again for about six months every day at, at the horizon. And now I force my body to open my eyes in the sun. And I've had a chiropractor friend of mine, Dr. David Pascal, who brought to my attention at a seminar. He was like, you know, you only... When you are out in the sun, you always close your left eye and you open your right eye when you're squinting. I was like, really? I do? He's like, yeah. So your whole side, your your right side of your nervous system is actually not getting the information from your left eye. So I forced myself in the last year to open up my left eye and if I have to squint and close, close my right eye. And it is serious consciousness that this takes because I go outside and I instantly want to do this. And it is, I don't know what it's doing. I'm sure it's doing lots of things in my body. But just doing that, it's like, it's taken me a long time to get used to it. And when I go to the south, like if I've been in the north for a while and then I go to the south, it takes me a couple days before I'm like, okay, I really want to wear my sunglasses, but I'm not going to do it. But I really want to, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to get used to it. And I find if I go in the morning and not that 10 to 2 sun, it's easier. Or in the evening, that 4 to 6 sun, it's a little softer wavelength of the rays and that it's a little so i tend to try to do that in the first day that i get there so that by the next day when it's super sunny i can go out and sit in the sun yeah but i'd also be curious just to listen if you will and then see if there's any brain spotting um or even emdr or any uh like when that happens where else does that land in your body that you want to close and not see or oh all my shit's on the left side all of it (laughs) All of the stuff is on the left side. And I've been unwinding my fascia, and you're all going to hear about the fascia summit that we're doing um, in October. It's all about the left side for me. All the stuff. It's all left side. It's all the feminine, all the intuition, all the, like, all okay, the like, all the past stuff, <laughs> all the all the things. And do you know Eileen Day McCusick? Yeah, well, I, I follow her, yeah, for yeah. sure. So her book on... Um, I think it's called Electric Body, Electric Health, or Electric Health, Electric Body. Uh, her second book, or maybe it's her fifteenth book. Honestly, I don't. Their most recent book. Uh, she's so brilliant. Hopefully, we'll get her on the podcast soon. But her book and her tuning um, biofield tuning book can teach a lot of that to people. And at home, you can learn how to do that with tuning forks. Her sonic slider, I don't have it here right now, but the sonic slider that she sells, she'll teach you. And I've been playing with it with my fascia, and I've been, like, listening to the field on both sides of my body. And I'm like, holy cow, it's so different. It's freaky. It's, like, crazy awesome. I didn't believe in any of that. And then I ended up in Australia almost what four years ago and i thought i was going for a massage and the lady takes out these tuning forks and she had studied with her uh uh and uh and she was doing these these things and uh i you can hear the difference you can feel the difference and i that was the best i felt leaving that session ever and i was like oh my god what's happening like there's a whole new world out there and like this the the sonic slider is hopefully i'll get that for my birthday in december but um no it's 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 crazy and then each uh where the the sound or the resonance shifts like there's there's stories there to be told exactly and and the um 
Oh, God, you had me think about something. I, I lost it. It's okay. It'll come back if it's really important because I want to buy you the Sonic Slider for your birthday is what oh, I was thinking about. December 22nd. No, oh. you don't have to do that. It, that's uh, just, and that's it, great. It, it's, uh, it's, I just, I, I, I hope in my lifetime we can streamline this. So these are what, these tools are what people just use. Like, oh, I know what I was going to thank you. So Moira Bianca, who also did a, a podcast with she uh is a sound therapist and she's classically trained um musician who delved into sound healing and oh, she is a magical woman you will love her she's going to be at brmi unfortunately you'll miss it because you have that conflict but well maybe maybe not we'll see we'll see how much she gets done this week but um Moira teaches people how to become sound therapists. If they go to brmi.online, she has a class there where she can teach people how to become sound therapists and properly do it. But one of the things that Rasmus Gaubergenhausen, who created Sound of Soul, I mean, I've got a whole page of my, you know those big, big post-it note sheets? Like, I have one in my office that's literally just for when I talk to Rasmus and things he says that I can keep up on my on my wall because he's so freaking brilliant. And he's like a wordsmith and he knows language and water and he knows all the things. But one of the greatest things I ever heard him say was, you cannot escape frequency. No. And I have held on to that since I met him. And it helped me so much through COVID. And it, it's helped me through the people that have all the root canals and I can't ask them to get them out or the breast implants. They don't want to get out. I'm like, frequency always wins and we create our own reality and you can turn anything from the field into matter that you want. So if you want to turn those breast implants into crystalline structures, I feel like you can do it. You just need to have the right tuning fork, the right frequency, the right sound, the right light and the right awareness in your body and the right alignment in your body to allow that to change and shift because we can create anything we want in our life and we can turn our bodies into anything. I firmly know this to be true. And I'm looking forward to all of us playing with this a little bit and having some fun with it. So like, regardless of where you're at in listening to this, know that you have a lot of tools, whether it's tuning forks, it's laying in, in the ground, it's red light therapy, that you can start to get your body to align. Now that you know that this might be a thing, how can you compensate for it? How can you assist your body to compensate for it? Because that's regulation. And yeah. that's true wellness. Isn't about living in a bubble and only eating gluten-free, dairy-free, tasteless food for the rest of your life. Because that's not how Kelly eats. Kelly likes food way too much. And she takes the biggest piece of the cake when it comes to the table. And now, it's learned behavior, all of it. Right learned behavior. I became a flexitarian. I don't want to miss out on the great parts of life. I want all of it. And I consider getting a tattoo over the last few months, a second tattoo for the first time in my life. And I've vacillated back and forth about whether to get it because I know what it will do for my fascia and my lymph and all the things. But there was a part of me that was like, yeah, but I really just want to put surrender into love on my arm. Just to remember, surrender into love, Kelly. Just stop it and surrender <laughs> into it. love. Do it, surrender. <laughs> <laughs> but I've also got to the point in my meditation that I don't need it anymore. That I, I've come to the authenticity that that last Joe Dispenza advanced retreat with Dr. Schaffner and Heather just shifted me. And I was like, okay, I, I can come from love and compassion now. I don't need to have it right here because Silas is always in my heart. And all I have to do is remember that. And then I surrender. So, but 
if I got it, I had I was judging myself over. I was feeling judgment from others over getting the tattoo, and I'm here saying, thinking people are crazy to get tattoos because it was the most painful thing I'd done other than have a baby. Why would I think of doing that again? But it was also the impact that surrendering into my heart has made in my life that I want to really impress upon myself to remember to do it because it makes my life so much easier. And and you know, but I had to resolve all that and get through it and find out what I was really trying to get to, yes. and. And, and that, that's the beauty. Go yeah, ahead. And, and no, no, but that's the same thing. Like I wish for any choice moving forward for myself and for everybody. Like we go through and we ask the why and the why, not judgmentally, but just to be like, huh, is is that really what I want? Or is what I really want is love and acceptance? Is this re like, and, and like, I want to be able to teach kids how to do this and yeah. the whole thought process. But it's it's that it's not that getting the tattoo is good or bad and and it's very curious like like how we how can we be curious as kids right and and then for me the more curious i am the more joyful i am in some reason. well I, I you're amazing you, you have like intuition you and i we were tasked through my coaching company or coaching group this last year to come up with core values at true wellness and one of my six core values is curiosity over judgment. It's literally what it says, curiosity over judgment. Be curious to yourself and to others and ask questions instead of judging as to why. Understand it. It's changed my relationship with my every single person in my life, including me, to be curious rather than judgy. So beautifully succinct take it forward myself so yeah so okay we know what we can do for self-care let's talk about your summit so we're, we've talked about two oh. summits today just for clarity danielle's has a summit and i have a summit danielle's summit is october 20 20th uh, um 20th 21st 22nd 23rd and it's 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 a little different than like the functional medicine integrative summits it's really more like a symposium um, where people will get together for those four days. We'll, um, it's online. It's online, it's virtual. And then people will have four, like you, you purchase a ticket for that. And then you'll have up to four months, probably longer, like the ones from 2020 are still up for people to view. Just, we, we have to have a little, a little boundary there, but at least four months of viewing after the summit, because we're gonna have like over 30 practitioners sharing their experience from uh, advocacy regulatory from the FDA from plastic surgeons from what does explant looks like look like from the past two years on um, publications uh, radiology or uh, oncology and immunology uh, people who deal with breast implant illness um, sharing their cool. experiences and and then so much more we'll talk about how to optimize pre and post explant and Good Lord. Oh, and then we'll have, um, um, I wanted to have you on there, but we'll get you next time uh, for lymph uh, people, people lymph, lymph, how to do it and what it is and all of that kind of juicy juice and to, you know, how to help mitigate and breathe breath work as well. And, and then, and then I'm doing a summit the next week with Dr. with uh, Siobhan Sarner, we're co-hosting, and it's about fascia and chronic pain rescue. And that is October 24th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th. And then um, 
we have over 50 speakers and wow. yeah it's it was a huge undertaking and all sorts of experts of fascia but also experts in our field and how they relate to fascia um, from a functional bioregulatory perspective and um, through the process Siobhan and I Siobhan had co-hosted or had hosted the lymph summit and allowed me to be a big part of that which I really appreciated I really under began to understand summits and how it all works through Siobhan and then I wanted to do the fascia but I didn't know how to do it and Dr. Schachter and I were talking about it, and she's like well I think Siobhan and you should do it together and I was like you think she would do a summit with me I'd have no idea Siobhan was like didn't really have the time to take it on so it was a perfect marriage in all honesty that her she had never co-hosted with anybody before I would never do another summit without co-hosting with her or somebody that knows what the hell they're doing but it is it was awesome and both of us got so fascinated with a fascia so I want to know when you went to the symposium or the um, Congress in September in Montreal can you talk a little bit about fascia what you learned the fascia Congress yeah and the, the sad thing is it's every three no yeah it's every three years right and yeah. this this past one was four years of a gap and so mm. this was my first one how many people were there oh i don't even know i mean i honestly, over 500 less than 200 i'm I, just curious i think i think like maybe 650. In that's the, awesome yeah yeah because it was their first live in a and since for four years so it was the same size as cellcore Cellcore had about yeah. seven, six seventy at yeah, live. Maybe, and I think some people didn't. So I would say, I'd say five hundred, six hundred. Okay, that's great. Okay, yeah. so about five or six hundred practitioners, right? Uh, yeah, mostly from manual therapists to what I like. I met an anesthesiologist who does chronic pain, looking into it. Like I'm a PA coming into it, like not quite manual therapy. So what was really awesome, and then there was a family med and a chiropractor like looking at how this all interplays right with healing with health and 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 all of that and then there's a i think a well-known gentleman by the name of uh, robert schleipe who mm -hmm. uh he had a lot of uh things to say and carlos seco was there and katarina fede which you would love to meet her she talks about hormones and uh, robert shelp's gonna be on our fascia summit oh nice um ask him about he had a couple of poster sessions uh, or his, his his students did but the there, there's so many take homes and in that take home was um how stiffness of fascia correlates with depression or mm. does depression correlate with stiffness of fascia Ooh. right so that's a whole awesome conversation and um there's more to approach it, but which which becomes what, right? And so you think of people in chronic pain or connective tissue issues and, and how they hold themselves and their lines of tension and what that can do to the uh, nervous system slash neurotransmitters. And like, so I geeked out mm. on in that realm. And um, Katerina uh, Fede led a, a pre-summit um, like microbiology session and, and talked some about hormones as well. Um, what I was there for was to really see how um, uh, scar tissue slash breast implants uh, 
would play a role like to learn more about this and uh one of my most enlightening things and i wish i had the the, the handout there was seeing freya the work that um you know it's the plastinate work and it's a whole body and you can see all her fascia so it was it was a fascial dissection and and she was a 70 year old lady um, and you can see all the interconnectedness all the spiralness all the things and and they had a great picture, uh, not a picture, but the way her body was almost in a dancer's pose. You could see the whole interconnectedness of the breast, of the pec, of the of the uh, transverse abdominus, abdominal area, and and like how for me that brought home, what are we doing with breast implants? And like and if you lift that layer and you and you put something in, you've just tightened it up or loosened it up and babbling, but. It was beautiful. And so then on top of that, there was some research on uh, physical therapy post mastectomy and how that changed, you know, mobility and how that mobility changed strength and function and, you know, attitude. Uh, and then talking with them and seeing if we can do that uh, with breast implant, breast explant type of conversations. And then more was on what are the impacts on the cervical spine and the different uh, head posture and scar tissue with that. So that's what I took home from that. And fascia, if for somebody's listening to this and I have no idea, can you can you explain fascia a little bit? Just because I know this is going to air right before the fascia summit, and I want them to understand a little bit about fascia and why it's so important. I mean, you, you have a lot to say about lymph and fascia both, and both of us find that you can't separate these, and if you love one, you have to love the other. It's a it's a synergistic relationship, um, and it, yeah. it would be just nice for them to hear it. I'm sure from somebody else other than me. So I I struggle with defining it. I mean, I can give you like the textbook thing, but I just I want to give you the vignette colorful way. Yeah, fascia for me is the tensile strength of the body. It is what holds everything together and interconnects everything through organs, through surrounding them, to encasing them, to protecting them. Uh, Gil Headley did a, uh, one of his lives and he showed a weight at the end of a muscle and the muscle couldn't hold up the, the weight. And then he said, this is fascia and the, the fascia held up the muscle. I mean, the fascia have, held up, the, up weight the weight just, just perfectly. And now we have videos of it under the skin, mm -hmm. live, and you look at all the different things that can travel through and on and inner fascia, whether it's hormones or liquid. And um, I just wonder what else. It's a it's a transport system, right? Just like the lymph is too, and they they work together. When you think of the interstitium, that's all part of the fascial, the housing of the fascia, housing of the body. So how I look at it is, is like there's many little parts that we still don't know about about fascia, and it is an organ system, and it has its functions. And I have a feeling it is, it is the frequency, it is the electrical portion that we have not recognized and have dismissed. Right, so when that is dry, when that is stiff, when that is shut down, we don't have as much vitality, as much vibrational support as we need. So to keep that healthy, 
is so important and how to keep that healthy. I think we're just learning how to do that, right? Especially if you think about how we age, um, there's some documents out there, uh, videos out there. It's like if being put in a rubber band, right? Like as you get older, you can't lift your leg as much. You can't do the things. And so love to hear regenerative medicine on that. Like how do we keep that moving? Not just moving, like we know exercise and eat right and get the sunshine. But like, I think there's so much more that that has to do with how we age and how we get sick. Well, and, and stay tuned to the Fascia Summit. You can register. There will be a link here for both of our summits for you to register for that. And it's we, the first week is free. If you want to own it, you do pay for it, which I would highly recommend because of exactly what Danielle said. Learning how to take care of your fascia is the key to our overall health. And there are 50 experts on that Fascia Summit teaching us exactly that. Simple ways to hack your life to take care of your fascia everywhere from supplements to remedies to lifestyles to avoidance of stuff to assure that you have control over your health because that's the point of this entire podcast that's the point of my life work is to teach people how their body really works teach them how the universe really works so that you feel you know I used to say I wish that we got the you know how to live life for dummies book when you're born like, yeah. why, why is that not a book? We should do a fashion for dummies, limp for dummies. Yes. Well, we, I kind of did. I did a limp for dummies for the limp summit. I did a 29-page book on the life, the lessons of the limp. And I just said this morning in a, in a, in a meeting that I had that I was going to do the same thing for fascia. I'm going to write a book on the fascia because I think that these are the books for how to live your life. Yeah. This is the the... If you want to know how to take care of this, you have to understand how to take care of your fascia and your lymph. And when you understand how to take care of your fascia and your lymph, so many other things just go away. It's true. And, you know, in osteopathy uh, training, they teach us to listen. And now this might be just the Danielleism because anyone else said, oh, I was sitting in that class with you and I didn't get that from it. But um, when we listen to the lines of tension in the body, and I do this because we listen from the the top of the head when you're standing up and or sitting down right you can do it from many ways but when you feel the lines of tension and ask why it's there right like it could be because you have a tumor it could be just this is how your autonomic nervous system is and you relieve that you can feel the nervous system calm down you can feel alignment you can feel polarity shifts right and i I has I have started doing this in my practice for about three years now, and it's made a world of difference to the vitality the clients have, right? Like you can see a per person virtually and and do the functional medicine integrative, and that helps. That it doesn't not help, but when you can relieve those lines of listen, hear, acknowledge without judgment and relieve those lines of tension for yourself or have a practitioner do it for you. There's something that happens and bigger breath, more vitality, and then, you know, and that you begin to heal yourself, right? So I think- Because it's an expansion of your frequency is what happens. Yeah. Our frequency gets so- Tight. Tight and, and contracted and muffled and suppressed and 
what all this work is about is expansion of the human biome and expansion of the of the biofield and allowing us to feel that expansion and that connection that really is about six feet coincidentally outside of your body um and that six feet when i'm standing two feet away from danielle we are completely merged as one and our bodies are communicating and then if we go so far as to hug that's just a more magnified communion of our bodies but it's still starting to magnify once we get within six feet of each other and starting to communicate and that goes for everything that lives and if you can imagine if you are stuck in fight flight or freeze or someone just cuts you off and you can't relax the gluteus maximus you know like for the day like if you're stuck and you hug somebody it's a big difference than to be relaxed and hug somebody the giving and the receiving like there's something delicious and all of that (laughs) there is and i look forward to being able to hug you soon and those those beautiful flowers behind you are hugging you i feel them they're like they're so beautiful fresh flowers another way to get good frequency you know if you're if you're pollen sensitive okay don't get pollinating flowers but get plants in and around you know there's a whole series i mean that's a whole other podcast that's a whole documentary the secret teachings of plants there's a book about it read there's so many books about it but that's one of my favorite secret teachings of plants but plants emit frequencies i mean that's what homeopathic is all about you know that's what herbal medicine is all about there's frequencies in it you know that's there's so you can't escape frequency start adding natural frequencies to your body and getting rid of all the man-made frequencies and man and woman-made frequencies and you'll be better off in every single way so Oh, thank you so much. I know this was a little bit longer podcast, but as you all know, that's the new platform at The Beats. I'm being very specific about who we invite in on the podcast. Not that I wasn't the first 100 episodes, but we really want to go a little deeper on these subject matters and give the experts the opportunity to really um, give you more like a master class, essentially, on this subject. But for even a further class of the symposium, definitely register for Danielle's uh, Summit in October. And for more information about fascia, please join Siobhan and I for our summit the week later. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be like, I'm going to need to watch it on a treadmill or something because I'll be like for our four day summit. Like, so we do ours live. Right. And like, yeah, well, I didn't know. I didn't, I got to connect with you guys to know what a, (laughs) what a summit summit is. And um, we're learning. It's all a journey. And then to, to watch your summit, but we can, I can purchase the summit so I can watch it at my own. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's, I mean, that's the limb summit too. Like there's just so many of the summits, like the body electric summit that Dr. Schaffner did 0.1.0 and 2.0. Like you just, you got to own that stuff because there's just no way you can keep up with all the information in the week that it plays. At least I can't, I mean, it's seven or eight hours every day. So I end up buying them and then listening to them kind of like podcasts. And I just, you know, but it's nice cause it's all, condensed information on one subject matter right that's and that's the beauty and and i love that you're bringing light to the breast plant or the breast implant illness and thank you for the work you're doing and continue to do the work and this is only the beginning of our friendship danielle i'm so excited to be continued yeah thanks everybody thank you all for listening thank you for being so heartfelt and please do share this information if it aligns with you or you know somebody that it might align with and keep sharing keep smiling and Breathe it all in and let it all go. Love to you all. We love you. Have a great day, everybody. 
Thank you so much for listening today to this episode of The Beats. And as your host, Kelly Kennedy, truly from my heart to yours, thank you for your time and your attention today. And if this did resonate with you, please do leave some comments. We would love to hear from you. And if this further you think would resonate with somebody that you know, please do go ahead and share that and hit that notification button so you know when The Beats is available to you. We do do some live things every once in a while. Um, and as always, we pray that this information today was not only foundational, but raised some questions for you and helped you be empowered to take actionable, profound steps toward regeneration because your body is the only thing that heals. And that is our message here on The Beats. Thanks again for listening and for sharing. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.